When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey YA is sponsored by Book Riot Insiders, the digital bookish resource and hangout spot for readers. Enrich your reading life with our Book Riot Insiders perks. We've got three levels to insiders, short story, novel, and the epic level, and you can try any level out for free for two weeks. For podcast lovers, meaning you, insiders at the novel and epic level get access to two exclusive shows, the Read Harder podcast, starring yours truly and Tears Price, which gives you recommendations for the Read Harder challenge, task by task, and Book Riot Remix, where we randomly pair up hosts from across our shows to talk about, well, whatever they want. Insiders also get exclusive access to bookish deals, behind-the-scenes newsletters, our new release index, super helpful when you're an over-shopper, the Epic Book Club, and more. Sign up for your free trial at insiders.bookriot.com. Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a Book Riot podcast hosted by me, Sarah Hannah Gomez, and Tirza Price. We are recording on Wednesday, May 5th, 2021. Happy it is not actually Mexican Independence Day, but everyone seems to think it is. And more importantly, happy birthday to Tirza. Thank you. Thank you. Yay. I'm so sorry that you've had two pandemic birthdays. Like one was too many. <laughs> eh, it's fine. It's whatever at this point. <laughs> you know, at least <laughs> right now we are definitely more optimistic about the future than we were a year ago. So there's that. That's true. I'm vaccinated. That's true. And most of my family is fully vaccinated. So yeah, things are looking up. Oh, good. Oh, someday. I was just thinking, it's going to be so weird the first time I, like, hug a person, you know? Yeah, I know. Who's <laughs> not, like, already in my bubble. I was like, how weird. Like, what's dating going to be like? <laughs> and, you know. Yep. It's it's going to be a year of exploring exploring boundaries and exploring what it's like <laughs> to reenter society. So That's true. Like, yeah, people's, like, physical space and boundaries and stuff, it'll... So it'll actually be maybe like kind of good for people with like sensory issues because all of a sudden we will finally be accommodating them with the like, is it okay if I touch you, if I hug you, if I shake your hand? I hope so. so I mean, yeah. That might actually be kind of cool. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> so did you see, I could, I could only think of like one newsy item in the YA world, which is maybe a good thing. I don't know if you saw all this business on Twitter because I know we were talking about it on the Book Riot Slack when a magazine mixed up two queer guys of color yeah. and put the wrong picture. That is so cringe. Like, especially because, like, okay, I don't know. Do you want to give a little bit of background for listeners who might not know about this story? I mean, I've never even heard of this magazine. I think it's from the UK. I think so. Um, it's called The Bookseller. And so Adam Silvera, who has written um, They Both Die at the End, More Happy Than Not, really great spec fic. 
was interviewed about his his book and publishing in general. And then there was another writer who is Mosin Zaidi, who is a writer who just finished who just published a memoir. And so he's also in the same magazine. So at least like, you know, they pulled documents from the same folder. <laughs> but like they put a picture of Zaidi on the Silvera page. Yeah. Which, you know, is not fair to either party. You know, it's like it, it screws both of them up. It makes, you know, I think for a while people were like, oh, how rude of him. And it's like he didn't like, yeah, he, you know, no. he's just as much like, you know, not a, not to blame as Adam Silvera. Like. It's so awkward and like it's especially awkward on the level of like clearly, you know, they don't look anything alike. Because <laughs> right, you know, they just don't. And, like we'll link a news article men. in the show notes. Like they're they're both men with dark hair and like sort of like not beards, but like you know facial hair, scruff, scruff. Yeah. But like that is where the similarities end. And I just know that a lot of YA authors, particularly women of color, have talked about how like they will be at festivals and conferences, and people like mix them up with other YA authors of like the same race. Like I've, I've heard some Asian American authors be like, yeah, you know, there's two of us. So people just have to like mix us up or like, they joke about it. It's not really funny, you know, because it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's showing and it's very telling that people get lazy about identifying other people and it's rude. And you just have to be like, it's not that hard to just not mix people up and double check file names and, and images, but here we are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like looking at it, I'm like, one is smiling. One is like, you know, giving sort of a smolder, like nothing about them is the same, except they are cis men who have like two eyes and a nose and a mouth and some scrub. <laughs> and they're not even the same style of photo. Like one's more of a headshot or a bust. And then the other one's like three quarters. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's wild. It's wild that they, they did that. I mean, I read the article and it looks like the editor is going to, you know, he corrected the online version. They're reprinting the print edition, which I'm sure is going to cost him quite a bit. But like, it's literally the least he could do. So that's that's good. And he's apologized. (laughs) But it's just like, oh, there's always Mm -hmm. always something. And it sounds like he actually like used the telephone to apologize, which also I'm like props for like really knowing that this isn't just a like whoopsie, but like, you know, like I'm glad that he took it like a serious apology. But oh, yeah, as like one of a handful of black people at her school growing up and then like, yeah, I totally know what that feels like. I've been told how great my books Charm and Strange um, and Complicit were. Oh, no. At a conference before. And I, it's funny, though, because, like, I know Stephanie Keen, and we were about to be on a panel together. So this lady's, like, gushing, and I was just trying to smile. You know, it's in the middle of an aisle. And, like, she's saying all these nice things. And I'm, like, thinking, like, I agree. Those books are so great. And then, like, I think she could, in the middle of, like, one of her sentences, see my face and my sort of awkward, like, I appreciate you smile. She was like, you're not Stephanie King, are you? No. And I was like, no, but I'm going to see her in, like, five minutes, so I'll tell her. Yeah, it's, and it's so awkward because, like, yeah, like, honest mistakes can happen. I was signing stock at my local Barnes & Noble in, like, a bookseller heard that a YA author who had a new release was signing stock and she ran over to like see who it was. And I realized two seconds into the conversation that she totally thought I was Angeline Bully. And like, we look nothing alike, but like we're both Michigan authors and we both had like releases come out within like debut novels come out within like the 
first like three weeks of each other and it was like it's awkward because it's like yeah it puts you the author on spot but then like when you talk about like issues of representation and like you know just the visibility of being like in a magazine like oh it's just I can't imagine it's so much worse so yeah Oh, yeah. And the fact that I think both of the articles and interviews were about them being like, the publishing industry has made great strides and we like are glad to see what's happening. And then it was like, whoa, whoa two steps forward, no. one gigantic step back. Yeah. Actually, I think it's more like one step forward, <laughs> two steps back. It's a really good reminder for all of us who like work in, you know, with books in a professional capacity who are like, I mean, not just like interacting with authors or like, but just like normalize like reading people's badges if you're at a conference and like also being like, hi, my name is and like allowing people to introduce themselves. Um, it just, yeah, it saves you a lot of awkwardness in the meantime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, because no one feels good after that exchange. No. Like the person feels embarrassed because they just like, and uh, you feel you know, embarrassed. We're vulnerable or sincere and then you're embarrassed because you're not the person they wanted and also you're offended and also yeah. like... Or like even if yeah. you're not offended, but like it's just, it's still, it puts the onus on you to just like have to like have an awkward conversation in a social situation, which nobody wants. Especially yeah. now after the pandemic when we don't know how to be social. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, Lord. It's funny. I kickstarted like some sort of Cards Against Humanity style games like right before the pandemic or maybe right around the beginning. And then, you know, those games are fun, but it's also like I don't need to play these games with my friends because we know each other. And then I was like, oh, but actually these are about to be super in demand because we're all going to have to learn how to socialize again. So we might need games like that to yeah. kind of lighten stuff up. So thanks, Charty Party. I'm very excited. <laughs> there you go. Oh, all right. So today we are talking about a topic that I think we both have like very strong feelings about. I mean, we always have strong feelings about YA, but we both were like, <laughs> right? Like, when do we not? <laughs> yeah. But we landed on this topic and I think we were both like, oh, yeah. And we both. Yeah. So we're excited. It's we're going to talk about generational stories in young adult, which is super important. But first, we are going to hit our first sponsor. So this episode is sponsored by the Masters of Library Science program at Emporia State University. It is an ALA accredited program that offers you the flexibility of online classes, while also giving you a community of peers to build your professional network. Through a combination of instruction, students are able to form a deep connection to the coursework, professors, other students, and practicing professionals in libraries. ESU offers a quick and affordable way to earn your MLS, with most students completing their degree in just two years, even while working a full-time job. To learn more, visit the website at www.emporia.edu slash S-L-I-M. All right, so... Generations in YA. It's interesting. I'm just going to like kick us off here with this little note that kind of, you know, was, I guess, my introduction to the topic and to just kind of thinking about like age and generation and like representation in a different way, which was when I was doing my MFA program, I had a great residency with YA and children's lit author Cynthia Lydic Smith. And one of the ways that she encouraged us to you know, just think diversely and more inclusively about our writing was like, don't always default to killing the grandparents. And it was so funny because like she said it in in, like a really funny way, but she was like, no, age 
And, like, older adults, like, they, like, that is a part of, like, thinking and being inclusive in your writing and, like, being thoughtful. And then she, like, made the very good point of, like, when you're a teenager, your grandparents aren't necessarily in their 80s and 90s. Like, if they're dying, then, like, they probably are not necessarily dying of old age. And I was like, oh, you're you're right. And that was kind of, like, an aha moment for me because I, I'm in, unusual and unique in the fact that, like, all of my grandparents died before I even reached my teenage years. And they all, you know, passed away in their late 70s and late 80s because through, you know, just chance like my parents and my grandparents had children late so I it's one thing I've always thought about and I definitely pay attention to in YA so how about you oh yeah no I I really lucked out with grandparents like I still have two of them two lived to almost a hundred you know so they just died recently but yeah and like I lucked out because they were like totally with it pretty much till the end like my grandfather you know played softball in his 80s like I have really lucked out with the old people in my life (laughs) and then because you know my my parents had kids late I ended up kind of you know being the youngest cousin like my oldest cousin was 49 when his grandparents died like that is wild and that never happens And then, yeah, like my, you know, my sister has kids. So my mom is like a quote unquote, you know, normal age (laughs) for a grandparent, I guess. And yeah, so they know their great grandparents because their great grandparents are not, you know, like a million years old. And I have so many bones to pick with this kind of like the bone I have to pick with people who call Gen Z millennials, even though millennials are Gen Y. We are 1980 to 1996 are millennials. But yeah, just thinking about, like you said, like it just, unless you have a chance of like really like two generations of having kids like relatively late in life, it's, yeah, you you gotta think about that. I think, yeah, at least in, I don't know, what I think I'm seeing in a lot of children's and YA authors is I'm really intimidated by all of these kids with technology. So I'm gonna like kind of cut back and make this sort of take place a little bit before that, but not really. And like, they're very, you know, like, I feel like there was for a while, like a mini boom of 90s set books, and there was no reason for them to be 90s, except that then they didn't have to deal with like MySpace and cell phones. Yeah, it definitely seems like the authors, like that was like their comfort zone, which is fine, I think. But like, I also think that there needs to be a more compelling reason for a book to be set in the 90s, rather than like, you know... This is just what I like. Although I will say now, my Gen Z younger brother, who graduated from high school like just like a year or two ago, he is like obsessed with everything 90s. So maybe, maybe marketing oh, is it's like total throwback. No, you're wrong. <laughs> 90s is hot. I don't know. But But the 90s is hot because it's distinctly different from now. Yeah. Because a generation, like quote unquote generation, is 25 years. It's true. So what I think is interesting about this whole discussion, though, too, is like you, you know, first of all, there's the matter of like, if you're going to have parents and grandparents playing a strong role in your fiction, which I definitely think like there's totally space for that. Like, you know, make your timelines make sense because there <laughs> right. have been a few YA books there that I'm like sitting here doing the math and I'm being like, okay, this book came out in 2017. The character is like 16 or 17. Let's give the author a couple of years because, you know, maybe they wrote 
the book for a few years before it actually sold. And then books take a couple of years to get published. But then, okay, so that's how old the teens are. So that's roughly set in this year. And this is how old the parents are. And this, like, and so the grandparents had kids in their 40s? Like, wait, what? Right. Like, so in that generation, that wasn't the thing that... <laughs> that that really does drive me nuts. And I mean, like, at, again, like, I've actually read a couple of books where it's like, you know, oh, there's a reason for, like, these big gaps or for, like, older grandparents or older parents. But, like I said, there needs to be a reason for it, you know? And it should be addressed in a, like, natural and organic way, I think. Um, <laughs> so, like, that's, like, my my kind of quibble. And I think, you know, you have a similar similar bone with that. Yeah, lately what's bothered me, as if anyone who listens to this knows that, like, I talk about being Jewish all the time, uh, but, like, about being secular Jewish. But, you know, the Holocaust kind of, like, a big deal to us. And, you know, right now in 2021, like we're at a point where we have lost most of our survivors at this point, especially the ones who can actually remember it, you know, versus Mm -hmm. like technically alive. But, you know, let's let's say if you were under four, you're not like you don't have a you know memory of it where you can be where you have that perspective. And there are so many books that come out with like, you know, a kid who like finds out that actually, you know, grandma survived the camps or whatever. And I'm like, grandma would not be like kicking it right now and like chilling with you and talking this way and running laps with you if she survived that. Like this doesn't. Unless this book was set in the 80s. (laughs) Right. Like this, this does not track. I object on a mathematical and chronological level. And I object because like, those stories are important and like it is a really compelling story like i didn't know this thing about this person i love right but like teens today don't and aren't going to have a firsthand connection with holocaust survivors because a lot of them are gone because they were born like i said like let's let's say 1938 is like the youngest you could be and still like really remember the events how many like they're not they're your great grandparents. They are today's ninth graders' great grandparents, not their grandparents. Yeah. Or they're not even here. Like, it's just not, uh, it just bothers me on a logic level. And then also, I feel like it's a missed opportunity to actually engage with, like, what do we do when this is actually like I have a whole extra generation that I have to figure out how to negotiate? Yeah. I also think that it's, you know, it offers an interesting question of, like, you know, being at that age where you're figuring out your family and you're figuring out, like, what, you know, what what your parents and grandparents did and, like, the decisions and their life experiences, like, they might actually have a direct impact on, like, the type of person that you are because of, like, the circumstances that you're born into, because of how you're raised. And it's really compelling to kind of explore that. But, yeah, when it's not done in a logical way, it just kind of ends up annoying me more than anything so I think that that is really valid and like there are still ways that I think people can engage in these topics like there's so much going on with like ancestry and and actually researching your history like you know that you can make that an interesting plot point but you know having your 94 year old grandparent alive and then like trying to do the math and figure out the generations and not having it line up just it doesn't always <laughs> doesn't always hit for me so it doesn't yeah. work it's an anachronism i mean it's just like if you you know if you put the wrong president or the wrong music like it doesn't it's too easy to like confirm its invalidity <laughs> yeah like, and i think that 
Yeah, and for me, it's definitely a distraction because there are multiple books and movies or TV shows where I'm like sitting here trying to like do the math and be like, it doesn't add up. And it's not because I'm bad at math. Like it really just doesn't add up. So yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of, that's like our big quibble. On to something positive, something that I really enjoy <laughs> in YA and that we don't see a ton of, but we do see a certain extent. Uh, and I'm going to talk about some books that do this really well. I love it when YA books have like a protagonist who's like grounded in, you know, like a contemporary or present time period. And then like you get to get inside the perspectives of like their parents and their grandparents. And that can be done in a variety of ways. It can be done in like, you know, dual timelines where you're getting like the teenage grandparents and the teenage parents perspectives. Like, there's a lot of really cool ways that you can do that, but I just really enjoy books that that do that. And there are a couple authors who are doing that really well. And I think that is a really cool and interesting way to kind of, like, get history, but, like, also see connections through the generations to a present timeline and see how, like, knowing your past, whether it's, like, history in a broader sense or just, like, your family history and your personal history is super relevant and important for you today. So there are a few books that do that really well. And that is definitely my jam. If you know of any books like that that we don't mention in the podcast, like, send them my way because I love that. Oh, yes, same. And it's funny because I was thinking of that and I was like, oh, so many people do that. And then when I like sat here trying to make a list, I was like, everything I can think of is middle grade or adults. Like this is, yeah, this is weird. You don't and yet see there it. are so many like parents in YA that I'm like, I would totally read a book about these people. <laughs> yeah. And you don't see it as much in YA. Like it is there, but it's not like super, super prominent. So, but it, I just, I think it's really cool. Yeah. So, oh, but I was thinking, again, I was like on this Holocaust jack because I also am on the board of directors at a Holocaust history center. And our whole thing is like contemporary genocide, super relevant to people who survived or are related to survivors of a previous genocide. Like it's all connected. But my go-to for that was The Devil's Arithmetic, which was one of my favorite books growing up and it is one where you have like an older relative who turns out to be a survivor but it worked because that book came out in it was in the 90s i think yeah yeah 90 something um no 88 oh yeah so even longer it came out in 88 the movie came out in the mid 90s it's with Brittany murphy and kirsten dunst and it's marvelous and not enough people know about it but yeah, so that one, and again, it's sort of that like slipstream, time slip, whatever you call it, that I'm really into. Like, that's my favorite kind of time travel, I think. But yeah, it works because it was 1988. And in 1988, you could have someone in their 60s who was a survivor and still going to work and going to the mall and cooking dinner. But yeah, so that's, oh, that's so good. And then you have The Assignment by Lisa Weimer, which is an excellent book that I read a few months ago. I really, I love so many things about it that I can talk about later, but there's one point where it's like grandpa or grandma is a secret Holocaust survivor. And I'm like, but no, (laughs) math, math, math. Yeah. But it's so good anyway. I let it pass. Yeah. (laughs) So do we want to hit our second sponsor and then start talking books? Sure. So our second sponsor today is Not Our Summer by Casey Bizet. 
a summer road trip bucket list story about family and all its complications. It's bad enough that estranged cousins Becca and KJ have to see each other at their grandfather's funeral. What's worse, he's left them a bucket list of places they have to visit together. But somehow, amid riding mules into the Grand Canyon and encountering a bear and a hot tour guide at Yellowstone, the trip turns into something else, a summer that will change their lives forever. So that's Not Our Summer by Casey Bizet. Mm, And like, what a perfect uh, sponsor for this topic. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. Oh, man, that was, it's as if they know. Yes. And it's funny because that that one is on my um, TBR, but I have not read it yet. So that's exciting. It sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, So I'm going to kick us off here with my first pick, which was one of my favorite reads of a couple of years ago. And it's called Unbecoming by Jenny Downham. And it's this really great YA book that is about three generations of women in this family. Um, So the protagonist, Katie, is um, in the present day. And she's got this really big secret that she's keeping from her mom, um, which is that she's queer. She she likes other girls, but she's really not sure about telling her mom because her mom Caroline is this like newly somewhat newly single mom and she's just like stressed all the time trying to take after you know look after the family and take care of Katie and her little brother and then like the last thing her mom needs you know to be added on her plate is for one day the hospital to call and say hi your mom Mary is here she has dementia she can't be discharged on her own like she needs to be released into somebody's care and it turns out that caroline has to take her mother mary until they figure out a more permanent um care solution and katie is fascinated by this because she does not know her grandmother mary they are kind of estranged and she knows that her mother had a falling out with um her grandmother but she doesn't know why and so she's kind of convincing her mom like hey you know i'll look after grandma don't worry um you just go to work it'll be fine and Mary, you know, her memory is really spotty. She doesn't always know where she is or or who the people are around her. And she tells Katie really interesting things. And she's just kind of like, what is the family history here? And so Katie thinks that, like, maybe if she can kind of figure out, like, what the family history is, she can get her mom and her grandmother to reconcile. So the cool thing about this book and one of the things I love that I was kind of mentioning earlier is that you get chapters from the perspective of Mary and Caroline in addition to Katie. Katie's kind of like the primary narrator, but then you get all of this in the background as well. And it's kind of woven in throughout the decades. And you can see like how this family got to the point that they are now. So I just really love a good intergenerational family story that like gets you into the perspectives of like the people in the various generations. So that is Unbecoming by Jenny Downham. I'm going to go with another one of those like multi-generational, although this one's five generations. So it's like a whole lot. I'm still in the middle of it right now. It's Dream Country by Shannon Gibney. Um, Her book, See No Color, was awesome. I read it um, right around the time it came out. It's about a black transracial adoptee. So like we immediately, (laughs) Shannon and I met on Twitter and we were like, oh my God, oh my God. But this book is about a generation of a family that is Liberian and American. So like different generations, you know, live in different parts, but it ends up like in the Congo and it like just kind of all over and just showing all of the ways 
Black Americans and Black Africans can be African. Like just the different like ways of being not a white person in the world. And I, I use that awkward phrasing partly because there's a moment early on in the novel where one of the they're describing like a girl in school, you know, who like people have a crush on and it's just, like she likes black guys and Africans. And like you definitely see this difference between like the African-American kids and the African kids who are American. You know? So, yeah, there's like a lot of politics there. And even I like don't <laughs> I don't know enough about it to like really describe it. But yeah, it's a really interesting family story and goes through a bunch of people and like all this political history. Like I know nothing about Liberia. So this is all, you know, I feel like anytime I read African literature, it's probably from Nigeria. There's great books from Nigeria or taking place in Nigeria. But otherwise, like (laughs) the rest of the continent, I don't see as much. Maybe North Africa in like some French literature. But yeah, this is a part of history of black history of African history that I've really like never learned anything about before. So, so far so good. And I'm looking forward to finishing it. And that is Dream Country by Shannon Gibney. Awesome. My next pick is You Bring the Distant Near by Matali Perkins, which was an amazing book I read a few years ago. It was on the National Book Award long list. It is about three generations of women And they are um, a Bengali family. So it starts off, the story really gets going with these two teenage sisters, um, Sonia and Tara. They move from London to New York City. They've always moved around their entire life. And their mom is not super happy about that. But in New York City in the 1970s, they really just kind of come of age and discover their own passions. And they also kind of, you know, choose very different separate paths. But, you know, they're still, despite their differences, they're sisters. And they become even more united when a tragedy befalls their family. And they kind of have to figure out how to navigate, like, what their family looks like after this tragedy. And then it jumps ahead. Um, like 20 years to their daughters who are growing up and living in New York City in the late 1990s and how their daughters have to like move about the world as, you know, they have different identities. Like one is multiracial. She is Bengali and she's, uh, her father's black. So that's, you know, an interesting dynamic for her to have to honor both sides of her family. Um, but they also have very different ambitions and they also have different relationships with their grandmother, um, as a result of their mother's different choices. But it's still like a very much a family story. I like it because the writing is so beautiful. Like if the title, you know, it was a little bit of a hint of how just like elegant and I think lyrical the book is. It, they kind of read like as like little vignettes, like each chapter feels like a vignette, but, but then it kind of comes together and starts to paint a picture of like a larger whole and this like arc of a family story that spans like 30 years. I also really like it because it talks a lot about like being an immigrant and, you know, the struggles. Um, there's some tragedy in there, but it's not like an overwhelmingly like dark story because I've read some adult fiction that kind of, that touches on lots of similar themes and storylines, but like is just really dark. And this book is not dark. I would say it's like pretty uplifting ultimately and affirming. So that's You Bring the Distant Near by Matali Perkins. It's so excellent. 
Oh, it's always nice to have not dark things. Yeah. So I'm told. I always go dark and then I'm like, oh, I guess happiness is fine. <laughs> like I'm bad at remembering that one can smile. So my next pick is The Wits and Daughters by Carrie Misrobian. And it definitely will give you vibes of the 13 Doorways Wolves Behind Them All by Laura Ruby. Because it's narrated by sort of a ghost, sort of not a ghost in a like, here I am rattling chains kind of way, but just in a sense of like, it is narrated by someone who is no longer alive, but is watching events unfold. And it's kind of like the the grandmother figure of a bunch of young women who all live in the same house that she did. So it's this family. Yeah. So it's kind of like sisters and their daughters who are, you know, technically cousins, but basically like siblings because they all live together and their relationships with their nearby neighbors, which are like very complex and kind of troubling. This is not like an easy read at all. They're definitely like there are relationships that will make some people uncomfortable, but it's also just really interesting to watch, like, you know, watch someone watch her own family, like, live with the things that she kind of set in motion and how they are continuing relationships that she started having. And just this, I don't know, I guess because I grew up like in a city, not in a rural town, it also just seems very fascinating to me because it takes place in like Minnesota. And that's so far outside of my own experience that just the idea of like your neighbor being not like 10 feet away, but lots of feet away. And, you know, only having a few houses on a block or whatever is really interesting to me just because it's such a foreign experience. But yeah, so it's just these sisters who are all just kind of like trying to, sisters and cousins, just trying to like figure out how to grow up. And they all have like a different relationship with the boy next door. And yeah, oh, it's it's weird. But I think if you like weird, it's a really interesting one. It's not quite the same, I guess, as the other books we've talked about, where it's a little more like this person's story and then this person's story. It's a lot more like watching the contemporary story and then the narrator is like, it reminds me of when I blah, 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 blah. But yeah, it's really interesting. It's a very like sensuous book. If you're into writing, like if you really love kind of like lavishing in sentences, this is also a really, really good pick. You can really see everything that's going on. So yeah, that's The Wits and Daughters by Carrie Misrobian. Oh, man. it's. I mean, I've heard of Carrie Misrobian's books, but like for whatever reason, that one kind of escaped my notice. So thank you for bringing that to my attention. It's because it came out in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> so 2020. What a everything year. escaped everyone's notice. I feel bad for that. For all the authors who release books in 2020. It's, it's a rough, oh, yeah. rough world out there. All right. So my next pick is Mare's War by Tanita S. Davis, which... Oh my gosh, I read this a few years ago and I really loved the structure because I think that it really, she really pulled it off. So the, this book is about two girls in contemporary day who are going on a road trip to a family reunion and they're going with their grandmother whom they call Mare. They love their grandmother, but they're, like, not excited about this trip because, first of all, their idea of summer fun is not, like, road tripping with their grandmother across the country to a family reunion. But also their grandmother is a very unconventional woman and she's not always the easiest to get along with. 
And so, like, one of the sisters just, like, wants to plug in her headphones and just tune out. But Mare is having none of that. And so along the way on this road trip, she starts to kind of tell them about what it was like for her growing up and then how she joined the um, service when World War II broke out. And as the trip goes along, like, you know, when Mary's telling her stories, like it goes, like the chapter goes into like teenage Mary point of view. And then it kind of goes back and forth to the present day in the perspective of her granddaughters. Um, And her granddaughters learn a lot about her. And they start to see her in a different way. And I I just really like this book. I read it a few years ago and I seem to remember because, you know, we were talking about the whole like grandparents World War II. I seem to remember that the timelines did match up for me in this one. But either (laughs) way, even if they don't match up perfectly, I really did enjoy it. It's definitely worth picking up. That's Mare's War by Tanita S. Davis. Tanita always picks such such interesting, like, they seem like just kind of typical topics, but then she, like, finds one way to twist it where you're like, oh, but actually, like, that isn't overdone. <laughs> like, she's really, she's very quiet, under-recognized author. Yeah, I I love this. I feel like the, the hardcover cover when it came out was just kind of meh, and it kind of did a disservice to the book, but then the paperback cover that came out is just, like really excellent so i yeah i hope more people will pick it up because it's one of those ones that it's been out for a few years now i think it was published um in like oh i guess it's been out for 10 years more than 10 years now oh my goodness <laughs> right which is why the timeline would <laughs> that's why the timeline would like yeah um yeah so it was published the paperback came out in early 2011 so the hardcover probably came out in 2010 but yeah, I mean, I honestly had never read a book uh, in YA that really dove into like the experience of like African-American women in the Women Army Corps. So um, it was definitely great. And I hope more people would pick this book up because it was so memorable from when I read it, like probably four or five years ago. Nice. Yeah, I've been meaning to read that for a while. I need to get on it. My next pick is one that I kind of forgot, forgot about because no one talks about it. But looking back, it is, I still recommend it. So Blessings Bead by Debbie Doll Edwardson is about two sets of Inupiaq siblings. One is 1917-1918, the other one is 1989. And it's a grandmother and granddaughter. So you have the whole like pandemic going on, which, wow. So 100 years ago during the you know, influenza epidemic. And then in 1989, you have sort of an era where these Alaska Native people have been, you know, after so many decades and centuries of like being mistreated by North American white governments are in a place where, you know, they're surviving on like social security and, you know, like don't have the best education system and aren't getting funding for infrastructure and all of this stuff that I really hope is not news to people (laughs) because it's like terrible and it's endemic throughout the entire Western Hemisphere. So you have this this young girl, Nutuk, in the early 20th century, who is, there's a Siberian man who has come to town and um, has his eye on her sister. So she's kind of watching stuff go down and is very worried about it. And then Nutuk's granddaughter, Blessing, she finds a bead, like a uh, Blessing's bead. 
and um, learns that it belongs to her grandmother and then starts to you and um, you, the reader, and she both kind of find out how that bead, which belonged to the man from Siberia, came to be in Newtok's possession. So, like, I was really excited to read it because we get so few books about Alaska Native experiences. And then I was also like, oh, but what if it's bad? I don't want to be that person who's like, this outsider book is so great. So I know the author is white, but married to an Inupiaq person. And I found at least one Alaska Native reviewer who liked it. So that made me feel a bit better as if, like, kind of gave me assurance that it was at least, you know, respectful and fairly accurate. But yeah, I think, I mean, one of the many things that's interesting is, and in a depressing way, is watching how, you know, everybody suffered in the influenza epidemic of 1918. It certainly wasn't easy for anyone, but unsurprisingly, certain groups of people suffered a bit more than others. Yeah, so it's it's definitely not like the most uplifting of books, but it really, it really speaks to our theme for today's episode as far as like, generations and like reverberations of like even the smallest actions like this Siberian guy with like a necklace of beads and then the one bead that ends up like with the granddaughter and yeah so it's a really it's a it's a different kind of read but it totally has that vibe of like see how one person's experience like kind of influenced her family going forward so that's Blessings Bead by Debbie Doll Edwardson. I'm going to switch things up just slightly, and I'm going to talk about a book where we're firmly rooted in the present, but there is a great portrayal of a grandparent in the book, and that is Love is a Revolution by Renee Watson. And I know I've talked about this book lately. I think it was probably on the Read Harder Insiders podcast, but I also know that I think Kelly really enjoyed this book, so she's probably talked about it on the podcast a lot already. So I'll keep it brief, but it's the story of Nala, who is going through a transformative summer where she tells the boy that she likes, she kind of like lets him believe that she's more active in like community volunteering, social justice and organizing than she really is. And one of the things that she tells him is that um, she works at her grandparent, her grandmother's retirement community. And she kind of like leads him to believe that like she's like volunteering and coordinating activities and really super involved. But like in reality, she just likes to hang out with her grandma and her grandma's friends and her grandmother's like maybe new boyfriend. And she does do like activities with them, but it's just because she likes hanging out with them. And I also really like this book because there is a subplot of like knowing that your family is important. And like when your family is important, you have to make time for them, even when, you know, there are other things that feel a bit more pressing, like, you know, your social calendar or your extracurriculars, (laughs) like those things are important, but like, also you should still be making time for your grandparents and, you know, just, just spending time with them, honoring them um, and learning from them. So it's such a great book. Love is a Revolution by Renee Watson. Um, speaking of grandparent relationships, Dig by A.S. King. Have you read this book? Oh, I'm so ashamed to admit that I have not, but it's on my TBR. I mean, that's okay, because it's like really rough. But if if and when you do, it's like, I mean, it's good. It's just, it's a lot. <laughs> That's kind of the reason why. (laughs) I mean, I want to read it, but I know it's going to emotionally wreck me and I've just been waiting for the time. Yeah. 
Exactly. But yeah, so you have these like kind of like the mean grandparents, like there's always someone has them. And then you have like their grandchildren, some of whom they've never met and like who barely even know about them. And these grandparents are like quite wealthy, you know, hit it big with potatoes, but like don't want to give their money to their children or their grandchildren. And yeah, so it's just this really weird, twisty, like all perspectives of all the different like cousins and grandparents and parents and everyone has a terrible relationship with each other. And yet everyone's relationship with each other like super duper affects everything else. But yeah, it does really interesting things with like interrogating whiteness and like property and ownership and like earning things versus being entitled to things. And oh yeah, it's it's a lot. You have to like commit to reading it. So I can totally understand. It's not something that you're just like, oh, I have a free hour. (laughs) I'm going to pick it up. But like if you have the energy for it, it is a really, really like complex, like unflinching look at very mean things that can go on in families and very racist things and very classist things and also just like occasionally nice things <laughs> but yeah so that's dig by as king all right i'm gonna very quickly hit one more author and that's leslie walton she has two ya books out the first one is the strange and beautiful sorrows of ava lavender and then the second one is the price guide to the occult and both of these books do really cool things in that they start in like an ancestor's or grandparents point of view and then they go through time to um, just kind of go through the generations and then they end up with the protagonist in present day but like the effects of like the ancestors decisions and choices like it they just weigh so heavily on the plot and i mean it's just totally vital to the story so I, I I can't I feel like I can't talk about the strange and beautiful sorrows of Ava Lavender without like giving away too much. But basically, yeah. it is about a girl who was born with wings and what happens to her because of that, which sounds super vague. <laughs> but just trust me, it's a very beautiful. I mean, it that book will emotionally got you. I loved it so much. Um, the Price Guide to the Occult is about a girl whose family has magic, but because of a decision her ancestor made, their magic is somewhat limited. Um, and now she's living on her island where, you know, she's always been. Um, she's being raised by her grandmother. Her mother disappeared, but now her mother is suddenly back in her life. And let's just say that her mother is not nice. So um, (laughs) it's, yeah, they're both really great. Leslie Walton is an amazing author, like definitely an autobi author for me. And then just one quick shout out. um, If you missed it, definitely check out my extra credit podcast episode from last week because I talk all about Melina Marchetta's books. And Melina Marchetta is another author who like in pretty much every single one of her books, like extended family and like previous generations are a major important factor to her characters' lives and their stories. Um, So she's another great one to explore. Oh, yeah. All the way back to looking for Ella Brandy. Oh, yeah. I I mean, every single book, you can make an argument that she does does in that. It's so good. So That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so my last one really, really quick. Okay, yes. So The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert is so, so cool. It's a duology, and then there's sort of a companion 
text in the same way that like Tales of the Beetle the Bard as a companion, like, or Wayward Son, is that the carry on, you know, in the sense of like, it's a companion text, but it's like the text that they talk about in the text. So it's about a girl whose grandmother is, you know, estranged. And she's this kind of quirky old rich lady who wrote like the cult favorite, like contemporary fairy tales that, you know, you're like, you're a really cool hit person, like in the back of the bookstore, if you've heard of her, Althea Proserpine, which is the most ridiculous name. But this girl, Alice, and her mom have kind of always been on the run from her grandma and from this guy who tried to kidnap her when she was like four. And you just like, as things start to unroll and unfurl, you just find out that like everyone has been lying about stuff. And maybe these stories were not so much written by her grandmother as like witnessed and stolen. And maybe she's not even her grandmother, but who really knows? Like, so like it, it does interesting things with generations and cycles and retellings of the same story, literally and also figuratively. And it is very, very cool. And that's The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert. Awesome. Well, that is it for us this week. I feel like we always run out of time. We had so many other books that we wanted to talk about. um, So maybe one of us will have to, you know, follow up with an article sometime with more books. But thank you for tuning in. Thanks again to our sponsors. And thank you to Jen Zink, our amazing audio editor. Please do rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or just share your thoughts with us on social media. Be sure to visit bookriot.com for more YA coverage and our What's Up in YA newsletter. And you can find us on the Read Harder Insiders podcast. You can find me on the All the Books podcast. And I am also on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I'm at Tears of Price. And Tana? I'm also on Twitter and Instagram as at SHGMicalicious. Awesome. And we'll see you all in two weeks. Happy reading. Happy reading. <laughs>